Well, good morning again. So, so today we're starting this new series, At the Table. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the table itself, looking at things that happen at the table and, and how the table should be a place that brings us joy. It should bring unity. It, it, it should bring, even bring out our own vulnerabilities. You see, there's many different things that happen at the table. And, and unfortunately, in today's world, in today's society, a lot of families don't take that time to sit at the table. You know, I remember growing up, it's dinner time was at this time and you better be home to eat. And you better be there to, you know, already be washed up, be sitting at the table when mom put that food on the table. And you better be ready to pray, ask, and have thanksgiving that comes with it. And because and if you missed it, next meal was breakfast. There wasn't no come home, I'm going to eat, oh, I'm just going to sit on the sofa. You know, we, we met at the table, and there's so much that happened at the table as a kid when I was growing up. And, and I really believe that as Christians, you know, one of the things that happened at the table was food. And I think as Christians, I think we need to have a better theology on what food is and what food and how it is used and mentioned inside God's word. Because in today's culture, it's so much different. It's so much different from what God called food to be. And, you know, one thing is Baptists, you know, we're known for preaching all of God's word even the stuff that people don't like to hear about. But we're also known for food and fellowship. I remember hearing way back when I was growing up, hey man, if you're going to go to a Baptist church, make sure you bring some fried chicken. Because they said when Baptists got together, there were going to be some chickens that got fried up because they were going to have food and fellowship. And it was a thing that always happened within a Baptist church. And you see, ultimately, even as you talk about the food and you talk about that fellowship, food shows up in the very first pages of the Bible. It is literally in the very first chapter of the Bible, it talks about food. And then it's also in the very end of the Bible. And all throughout the Bible, you read about food and you read about feast and fasting. In the beginning of creation, God gave us food. He gave us the food to eat, and he declared it as very good. It was so much so, even after sin entered into the world, and even after the great flood, that God turned around and declared the same thing over again. Again, he gave the same, almost the same wording he gives in Genesis, you see from the feasts that are listed in uh, Leviticus 23, it's the tendency for us to all dine together and for us to come together. And, and even Jesus was known to dine or sit at the table with sinners. He was known to be at a table with sinners. He was known to take time to eat with all of his disciples. And I think that when we take that time at the table we can understand and reveal the heart of God for each one of us. And ultimately, it all culminates in, in revelations with the marriage supper of the Lamb, 
which we'll also talk about today. But like I said, society has a totally different concept of food. In the world today, food is so much more than what God's word calls it to. You know, you got people who eat too much, and I may be part of that category. You got people that don't eat enough. You, you got people who, who don't really know where food comes from, which is pretty sad. You got people who think they need to look like the models on magazine covers. And if you think about, if you look at anything on social media today, on your phone, you have an app that you can take away your wrinkles. You can change the shape of your body. You can change the color of your eyes and your hair. You can even remove stuff from the back of a picture that you don't like. So when you're looking at something online, is it really that person or is it something that's photoshopped? And unfortunately, in today's world, there's so many people who look at that and I've got to look at this. And the first thing they think of is food is my enemy. Uh, I can't look like that if I do this or I can't do this if I do that. And, and it's unfortunate that that's the way the world sees it. And, and this is inside a world that God created. And, and some statistics for you this morning. 9% of the U.S. population, or 28.8 million Americans, will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. Less than 6% of the people with eating disorders are actually medically diagnosed as underweight. Up to 74% of the people at risk for eating disorders is because of genetics. Eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illnesses second only to opioids. 10,200 deaths a year because of eating disorders. That's a death every 52 minutes because of an eating disorder. About 26% of the people with eating disorders attempt suicide, and it costs the economy $64.7 billion a year because of eating disorders. How did we go from something that God said was very good to where we're at today? And I found some other statistics were, were really alarming. And, and I said, you know, I've got to say these because we have granddaughters or we have daughters and we have sons. 42% of one, first through third grade girls want to be thinner. Think about that. First through third grade. 81% of 10-year-old children are afraid of being fat. 46% of 9 to 11-year-olds are sometimes or very often on diets. 35 to 50% of adolescent girls engage in crash dieting, fasting, self-induced vomiting, diet pills, or laxatives. And in a college campus survey, 91% of women admitted to controlling their weight through dieting. Our daughter suffered from an eating disorder. And it was painful to watch. It was painful as, as she went to, to get the help and we got her the help she needed. And, and when I talk about painful, if she got on the scale and gained half a pound, she'd go work out at the gym for three hours. You could literally see every vertebrae in her back. 
where her collarbone and clavicle was, it was actually sunk in. You could almost pour water in there like it was a bowl. And she literally thought she was fat. She would eat a meal, go to the bathroom. So, so when we talk about food and, and we look at this and I'm able to look in my own family and see what it did to my own daughter. But then you read these statistics in the world and you're like, wait a minute, this is the world that God created. The day that God mentions food in the Bible, he said it was a very good. It was very good that day. So how can we go from it being very good to food being an enemy? You see, food and our need for it is part of God's good creation. Food is a daily reminder of God's provision. It impacts our lives. It impacts the way that we, we as a believer should actually see God's goodness. God's goodness, it was given to us. It was a provision given to us. And however many people's eyes do to this misconception of what we should look like and what we should eat or, or what we should do, Food has become the enemy. Food has become a lot of people's enemy. And food doesn't have to be an enemy. It can be that daily reminder of God's provision, both now and to come. Because throughout God's word, they talk about it. That They talk about food. So if you have Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the back of the pew. And what I want to do is look and see what God said about food and, and take some time there today. So as I said, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. And like I said, it's on the first few pages because for me, it's on page 2 of my Bible. So God didn't get far before he talked about food. And verses 29 through 31 actually say this. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it is so. God saw all that he made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning on the sixth day. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today, Lord, I just ask that you open up our hearts so we can see what it is that your word has for us, Lord. Lord, <clears throat> if any of us are, or anyone here is suffering and not understanding what you mean food should be for. Lord, I ask that you touch their hearts so that they will know that it is a provision from you. And Lord, may your name be glorified through it all. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I think one of the first things we need to understand that the food that we eat is a provision from God. It comes from God. God provides all of our needs. Food is one of the things that God provides. I always used to joke around that, you know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be barbecue. And I say it's going to be barbecue because it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord. You know, and if you go through the Old Testament, 
what were they doing? They were teaching you how to butcher and how to place it on the altar. You know, that's barbecue. That's barbecue to me. So, so I said, you know, we're going to have some good food in heaven. We're going to have some barbecue, and it's going to be that provision from God, just like we have here on earth. You know, it's given to us by God, but, but unfortunately, we take it the wrong way. And as I was reading the, the world biblical commentary on this, Gordon Wyman actually said this. Man is the climax of creation, and instead of manning providing the gods with food, God provided the plants as food for man. So God provided it for us, but understand that food can also become an idol. You know, we, we get so caught up with, with food. You know, think about it. Sometimes we just eat because we're bored. We eat because we're stressed. You know, it's interesting when you say, oh, I'm just stress eating because we do. And we use food for all of these other things except understanding that it's a provision from God. And we should see God's goodness in all that we do and in everything that he's provided for us and not just looking to it for comfort. You know, like I said at the beginning, some of us eat too much. That would be me. I'll be openly honest. I see some others raising their hand back there. Some of us don't eat enough. And, and unfortunately, we look at food and it comes in these nice, neat little packages at the grocery store. And it kind of takes away from where it really comes from. You know, because we buy something because of the packaging or because of the commercial that's on TV. And, and all of us can probably remember, I wish I had an Oscar Mayer wiener. You know, you, we all remember that song, right? So they got this marketing thing to get you to go get this certain food, and you really don't know what's in it. And unfortunately, even in today's society, there are people that don't understand how the meat gets in the store because they'll actually say something, well, just go to the store and get it. There is so much more to that that people don't even understand. I think with God's provision of food, it shows how much we need to rely not only on him, but on the land itself, the land that provides us with that food, the, the farmers that are out there working from sun up to sundown, getting us that food. You know, God has provided it for us. And I think sometimes we just remove from that reality that food is there for us to be able to survive on. We were given food as a provision from God as something that we should do and something that we should eat and something that should, as it says, is very good. God created on the sixth day of creation, God said it was very good. But we've made such a mockery of it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people, we lose the theology of what food really is in the Bible or how we should look at food. Because for a lot of us, it's just, I got to have breakfast. Well, it's about noon. It's lunchtime. Man, I got to go have dinner. Then for some of us, it's that late night snack. Getting out the oatmeal cookies or the vanilla wafers. Oh, wait, that's just me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, and, and sometimes we just eat just because it's there. And then we look at the serving size and, you know, we see, hey, there's seven servings in this bag and you're kind of figuring, okay, well, I guess I'm now a family of seven because it was a serving for me. But we don't look at it at what it really should be, uh, on what God has really called us to have food for. And, 
in his book, The, the Food, uh, Food and Faith, A Theology of Eat, Norman Wearsby actually said this. He said, the psalmist invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good in Psalm 34, 8. He goes on to say the goodness of creation, its delectability, but also God's delight in its beauty cannot really dawn on us so long as we reduce food to a product to our own hands or turn it into a commodity for the purpose of power and profit. Food is a gift of God given to all creatures for the purpose of life's nurture, sharing, and celebration. When it's done in the name of God, eating is an earthly realization of God's eternal communion, building love. When's the last time you thought about food like that? When's the last time you thought about food? You know, because what have we made it? We have made it a commodity. We have made it something that we buy and sell instead of a provision from God. Instead of using food for what it should be. And I think that a lot of times, even as Christians, we kind of use food for, well, I got to fast. I got a big decision I got to make. So I got to fast, so I'm going to give up food. Or, hey, it's a feast day. According to the Bible, we need to have this feast. And we've reverted to making food this duty. This thing that, well, I've got to fast, so I'm going to give up food. Or it's a feast day, so I got to eat. And we've made it more of something that we have to do because this is what God's word says. Instead of understanding that God gave it to us for a reason. He gave it to us to be able to live this life, for us to be able to fellowship with each other, and for us to be able to do life together and understand how dependent we are upon the land and upon God for our food. But we get so caught up on rules and regulations that we forget why God really gave us something. And we all know that we need food in order to survive. We need to eat and feasting and fasting is a part of a rhythm of the life. It's a part of everything that we do. But it's not a duty that we're required to do. It's something we do because God provided it for us so that we could be nourished and do what he calls us to do. Be able to be his hands and feet and be able to invite people to the table. You know, you think about it, it's, it's a gift that we receive, but we need to understand that as much as we're to receive food as a gift from God, fasting reminds us that food is not all that we need. It reminds us that we need to rely on God for everything we do. And you look back to the Israelites when they were, when they were out there walking in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy 8.3, it tells us, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with, ma with manna, <clears throat> which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Even through the Bible, food is kind of takes different angles in the Bible. You think about Jacob and Esau. Food was a contention for Jacob and Esau and caused the fight within the family. And it came out because of food. 
You look at all the feasts lined up in Exodus that remind us to, to take time of rest or take time to give thanks or, or take time to celebrate. And it all comes around these feasts or these times of gathering where, where food was part of it. In, in Psalm 104 verses 10 through 15, it actually celebrates God's glorious provision through the land to gladden and to strengthen our hearts. In Matthew 11, John and Jesus, you actually see how they were scorned for two different things, the way that they fasted and even the way that they ate. So no matter if they were feasting or fasting, the Pharisees said they did it wrong, you know, because it became this duty thing instead of what God really calls it to be. Jesus foretold his death with a meal. Jesus foretold the, his death with a meal in Luke 22. And the early church did what? Read Acts chapter 2. They came together and they broke bread. They took time for food and fellowship. They took that time to come to the table together to not only praise God, but to be there for each other, to be vulnerable for each other, to have those conversations with each other. I think sometimes we need to get back to at the table. We need to take that time to be at the table together. And of course, as you go all through this, then you come up to Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Most glorious feast you'll ever see. And in Revelations 19, 6 through 9, it says this. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, God the Almighty reigns, let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. <clears throat> he also said to me, <clears throat> these words are of God are true. You see the psalmist when they said, taste and see that the Lord is good. At the marriage supper of the lamb is when we actually get to do that. You think about this. Think of the biggest wedding reception you've ever been to. As glamorous, it, glamorous as it may have been, hey, maybe it was at the Mar-a-Lago. You know, it just this whole spread, amazing. You're looking at the dad. He's going to be in debt for the next 40 years paying for his wedding. Take that and multiply it by God's glory. That's what the wedding feast of the Lamb is going to be like. That's what it's going to be like when us as believers in Jesus are actually sitting at the table enjoying food and fellowship with every believer and with Jesus. The final days are over. The final battle's already taken place. All the believers are coming together in our purity and and we get to see Jesus and we get to hang out and have food and fellowship. So as much as food society today is, oh, it's bad, it's the enemy, it's this, it's that. 
as believers, what do we look forward to? We look forward to feasting with Jesus in the end. We look forward to that time of food and fellowship with our Lord and Savior, with, with the other saints, with the other believers in Jesus, that we're all going to be there together worshiping our King. And we're going to be doing it with food and fellowship. Charles Spurgeon actually said this, there will come a day when all who have died shall be raised again from the tomb and those who remain alive shall have been changed so that their corruption shall be put on incorruption and mortality shall have put on immortality. Then will the church be perfect and complete. No one member will be missing. There will be no spot or wrinkle remaining in her. Then it shall come to pass that Christ will celebrate the marriage supper, which will be the bringing of the people of God into the close, closest and happiest union with Christ their Lord in glory. See, many of us harbor baggage and confusion about food and about the sources and, and what its purpose is in life. But I think we need to look beyond the fact that food is just fuel. It's more than just fuel for our body. It's more than just something we eliminate when we think we have to lose weight. Food is a time when we can come together and see the goodness of God. See God's provision in our life. See that he he loved us enough to provide us a way to nourish us. And I think that as we explore and we grow in gratitude and we understand this communion with God through food and this unity that comes around the table, <clears throat> I think it will actually help us as believers to trust in God even more. That we can trust him in every facet of our life. You see, God gave us provisions of food in the beginning. The sixth day of creation, God provided food. Now, if you notice in Genesis 1, all it talked about was fruits and vegetables, right? That's it. It talked about fruits and vegetables only back in Genesis 1. And remember I said, after the flood, God repeated what was for food. And in Genesis 9, he actually said this, every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. So after the fall, after the flood, meat was introduced into the diet. Man, I like my steak. I'm glad he introduced it back in Genesis 9. I think I'd have a hard time being a vegetarian. I think I could, you know, if I had to do it, I knew I had to do it because if God didn't introduce meat, then I would have never ate it. But the understanding of it's not just for that flavor. It's not just for that satisfaction. It's not that I've got to eat three square meals a day because that's what we've turned it into. We've turned it into eating on the go, you know. As we're working, we, we pull up through, drive through, and we grab food, and we eat in our car as we're moving. We get home at night, we're tired, so we just kind of microwave something, and we go sit on the couch, and we watch TV. 
And then, the, you know, maybe the kids get home or the grandkids get home and you're like, oh yeah, there's stuff over there. I think we need to get back to the table. You know, and I'm guilty of it myself because Patty and I would always eat at the table. Even as empty nesters, we would take that time in the evening to sit at the table. And that time at the table would be that time to find out how each other's day was going and have that daily dialogue. Now I catch us more and more sitting on the couch because it's sometimes convenient, you know. Maybe Jeopardy's on. Maybe Young Sheldon's on or something's on Big Bang Theory. And, you know, we're watching this. We could see it from the table anyways. But it still becomes that distraction. It becomes that distraction of what should happen at the table. That time of unity, that time of fellowship. And even that time that you, even as a married couple, that you have that face-to-face time. And you're able to have that daily dialogue. And you're able to get through that day and continue to move on. We've all come to make food what it's not. Just something that we've got to do each day. And some of us will even forget about food. All of a sudden be like, man, I ain't ate all day. Because you kind of get busy. And then you kind of wondering why you're tired and run down. Because you haven't put any type of nourishment in your body. And understand as as we as believers sit there and we talk about this, how many people in this world, in the U.S. alone or even in this community, have food insecurity? People who don't even have enough to get their daily supply of food? People that don't have enough and and really don't know when their next meal is even going to come? But yeah, we'll go through line at a store. We'll eat and only eat half of our meal and won't even get it to go. Well, we'll get it to go and it'll sit in the refrigerator until it gets moldy and then gets thrown away. But yeah, there's people who would, who would love to be able to even have half or a quarter of what we're eating. You know, and there's a way that we could use food as a vessel to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, and, and we do a little bit of that here with the brown box food distribution with the with the lunch bags. But I think as a body of Christ, we can do so much better than that. We can do so much better than what we're doing to to help food impact the world, impact the people around us. You know, this week I was watching a video and it it really hit home. It was a pastor of a church, 12 Stone Church in Georgia. And he tells the story of how him, his wife, and his four kids went to Chipotle to get something to eat. And, and they're standing in line and they're getting closer to the front and all of a sudden this guy cut in front of them. And and guy turns around and he goes, hey man, my starter's out in my car. Can you buy me a, t- a bus ticket to Atlanta? Pastor's like, dude, no. I don't have that kind of money on me. I don't carry cash. I can't get you a bus ticket to Atlanta. So the guy looks at me and goes, can you buy me a burrito? So the pastor's saying, man, he had a good line. He started really high. Let me get that bus ticket. Now I'm just down and let me get you a burrito. And he says, you know, I think to myself, you know, I got my family sitting there watching me and, you know, I'm the pastor. So yeah, man, I'll get you a burrito. 
So they get up to order, and, and the guy gets up there, and, you know, so the pastor's thinking, okay, he's going to order a burrito. No, he ordered a burrito bowl. <laughs> so the pastor's looking like, really, dude, a burrito bowl? So the guy's up there, he goes, I'll take some pinto beans, I'll take black beans, yeah, and, and I want double steak, and, 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 and the pastor's like, double steak? I don't give my wife double steak except her birthday. And, and, you know, the pastor's getting upset while this guy's doing this. And, and then he, you know, says, I want some cheese. I want sour cream. I want salsa. And anyone who goes to Chipotle knows what's coming next, right? And you pay extra for it. I want the guac. Pastor's like flipping out. Like, I can't believe this. Double steak, guac, he's adding all, you know, whatever. They get to the end. And he's talking to the guy and he goes, you know, uh, I'm just doing this because I'm a believer in Jesus. And I'm buying you this meal in Jesus' name. And the guy's like, thanks, gets his food and leaves. So now the pastor said he went and he sat down with his kids and they're enjoying their tacos and, and he couldn't enjoy the meal. It's like, man, I got taken advantage of. This dude literally took advantage of me and, and I got scammed by this guy and he couldn't enjoy that time of a meal. And then he said the next morning he spent time with God and he's like, God, how come you let this guy scam me? And he said, God told him, hey, he didn't scam you, you scammed him. Pastor is like, what do you mean? He says, didn't you tell him that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and that you were doing this and buying this meal in Jesus' name? Think about if you really bought it in Jesus' name. You would have been like, dude, you want two burrito bowls? Man, double steak, all of them. Hey, you know what? Double the guac. You wouldn't have been worried about the extra $12 it cost you because you would have been doing it in the name of Jesus. But how many times in our own life do we get caught up the same way? I'm doing this for Jesus. And then you get mad about it. Then you get upset. Man, I told him I'd buy him a meal. I didn't know they were going to get steak, double steak. And the guac, and the guac yeah. You know, or, or you sit there, and how many times you think on the corner, you see someone who's hurting, and you're like, man, I ain't going to give them no money. All they're going to do is go buy drugs or beer or alcohol with it. What difference does it make what they do? Do what Jesus called you to do. If Jesus tells you, hey, give them some food, give them food. If he says, give him money, give him money. Be and do what Jesus calls us to do. Make a difference inside this world. And also you think about it, if this pastor would have done it in Jesus' name, he would have invited the guy, hey, do me a favor. Come sit with me and my wife. Come to the table. Come and sit at the table with us. And dude, tell me your story. You know, if I'm doing this in the name of Jesus, I want to know who I'm doing it for. I want to know why he brought you into my life to ask me for a burrito. There is so much that can happen at the table today, and we don't take time to even look at the table. We, we don't take that time to look at it. We don't, we don't look to help the people who are hurting in this life. But we need to do what God called us to do. Remember, food and our need for it are a part of God's creation. It's a part of God's creation. And food impacts every area of our lives and is one way that we as a believer can experience God's goodness. 
Next time you take time to eat, think of the goodness of God. You know, we take that time and we pray over our meal and, you know, a lot of times it's the same prayer all the time. Lord, thank you for this food. May it nourish my body. Amen. Pretty much the same. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God. You know, we, we got all these little prayers. When you're sitting there taking time with food, look at it as God's goodness in your life. And at the same time, think of someone in your life who doesn't know God's goodness and maybe invite them to the table. Decide to say, you know what? Starting tonight, we're going to start eating at the table again. And you know what? We're going to look at who we can invite to come and sit at the table with us. And understand, don't necessarily got to be at your house. <clears throat> you can invite someone out for a meal. I got invited out to lunch, so I'm going to go to lunch today. Of course, I go to lunch every day, but today it's on someone else, not me. So I think I might get the double steak and double guac <laughs> because they're paying for it. I'm not. Hopefully they won't get mad at me and they'll still love me. You know, we can look at God's provision of providing me with double guac. <laughs> so, but I, I want to encourage you, take some time this week. <clears throat> And show someone the goodness of God through spending time with them at the table. And for some of you, you may be sitting there and saying, well, you know, pastor, that's good, but I don't really know Jesus and I don't know how to take these next steps and I don't know what to do. And to me, food is just something you pick up at Publix or Aldi's or God forbid, go to McDonald's drive-thru. But that, that's the way I look at food. So, Pastor, I really don't understand it. And, you know, and I just don't get it. Well, that's okay. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to get it all. You don't have to be a theologian. You just got to know that, man, something in my life is missing. Something in my life is just not right. You know, I, I don't understand that goodness of God and and I don't understand this whole Jesus thing. And Pastor, I'm just messed up. Man, there's no way he'd accept me the way I am. And, and you know, uh, uh, I got eating issues. I never look at it as from God. And, you know, I'm doing this stuff in my life that doesn't make sense. And, and, and I got to get it all right. Well, I want to let you know today, you're never going to get it all right. You're never going to be perfect. You're always going to have issues. And God's word even says that we all fall short of the glory of God. So every one of us in this room, every one of us watching church online, every one of us falls short each and every day of the glory of God. But God's word also says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And see, and that's the difference is that belief. It's that belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he beat sin. And by beating sin, you can be forgiven for what you've done and what you're going to do in the future. He went on a cross and he died for you, knowing exactly what you're doing today 
knowing already what you're going to do tomorrow that you don't even know yet. But he loved you enough to die on a cross for you. And he simply asked that you believe in him and believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, see, what happens from there is the world's still going to be the same. When you leave here, everything's going, all your friends, your family, everyone's going to be the same. The difference is going to be you. You're going to be the one that has that heart change. And, and, and you're going to be the one that the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling in and, and telling you what is right and what is wrong. And then you are going to be the one who can make that change. But it's a decision that you make. And understand that everyone's relationship is different. Everyone's relationship with Jesus is different than everyone else's. But the only way to get to heaven is to have a relationship with him. That's the only way. You're never going to be good enough. You can't get prayed in. Nothing else. The only way you're going to get to heaven is accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done that, if you're watching church online, let us know that you want to accept Jesus today and we'll get you some information. If you're here in this room and you've never accepted Jesus, hey, during this final song, come up front. I'll be off to the side. I'll be more than happy to talk with you, pray with you. And as you say that prayer of salvation, I'll give you a hug and welcome you into our messed up, jacked up family. Because we are, we're messed up, we're jacked up, but we are loved by a God that has a crazy love for us. Has a reckless love for us. Loves us more than we can ever imagine. We can't love our own spouse or love our neighbors, but he loved us. And think about where you used to be and he loved you where you used to be. And he loves you right where you're at right now. Even though we're all this work in progress. So I want to encourage you, and maybe you're not taking time at the table. You're not taking, taking time to spend with family and, and bring that unity and that comfort and that peace that comes from that time at the table. I want to encourage you this week, take time at the table. Invite someone to your table. Invite someone to your table. And I'd really encourage you, invite someone to your table who may not want to come. And the reason I say that they may not want to come is, is because maybe the past life that you've had with them. Maybe you've had arguments or life hasn't been good. Unity comes at the table. Remember that. Unity comes at the table. Forgiveness can come at that table. Life change can come at the table. Invite someone to the table this week. Invite someone to the table. So Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and, and Lord, we know in the end, we're going to be at the table. We're going to be at the table at the, the wedding feast of the Lamb and, uh, as peace has come to rule the world. Peace ruling the world. We're going to culminate that with the feast, with the banquet. So, Lord, I thank you for that, that we'll get that time at the table with you. But, Lord, in today's world, people aren't coming to the table. People aren't looking at food for the provision that you provide. Lord, you said it was very good, and the world tells us it's very bad. 
Lord, I ask that you open up our eyes that we may see your goodness in it all. And Lord, if we have some type of eating disorder or we're not getting enough food, Lord, I ask that you bring people into our lives that will help us see you. See your goodness and that we will see food for what it is, not what the world says it is. And Lord, that we will, through our food and through our meals and our time at the table, that we will see you. And make this prayer in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks again for joining us here today at FBC Lantana for Church Online. And, and, and if, if you enjoyed what you saw today, I'd just like to ask you to go ahead, go to our website and, and help support this ministry as we try and outreach and reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And you can just go to our website, fbclantana.com slash give, um, and you can make an online donation right there. Again, I encourage you to get connected to a local church, and especially if during this message you felt compelled to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, definitely go tell somebody. Let someone know because that is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And, and from there, get connected to a local church. Hey, we would love to provide you with some resources with that. You can go to our website, fbclantana.com, and on the very front page, you say, give my life to Jesus. Click on there, and at the bottom of there, there's some links and some good information for you. And just wanted to say, welcome to the family.